Welcome to Crafted with Cradle, a curated conversation over cocktails with Charlotte's Best. I'm Janelle Logan. I'm the executive director of the League of Creative Interventionists, and I'm Crafted with Cradle. Welcome to another edition of Crafted with Cradle. I am your host, Dr. Keith Cradle, and this is your podcast for curated conversations over cocktails with some of Charlotte's art's finest. And today, you know, as always, we want to thank Jason Jett. Jason Jett, he does our theme music. Make sure you check out jasonjettmusic.com. Our sponsor is Sweet 929, JSW Media Group, of course, my girl Jam Sham in the building. And as always, if you like listening to this podcast, remember you can watch it on Sweet929.tv. Also remember the book is out, cut the check, head over to the website, KeithCradle.com. Now, tonight we've got a very special guest, um, a very good friend, and I'm telling you, this is a coup. We, we, we got him. This is day two of his retirement. So, so to have him here tonight to do the podcast, that, that says a lot, not only about him, but his love for the arts, um, culture engagement in our community, the job that he has done for the years that he has done. And we're going to definitely talk about that. Um, recently retired. Can I, that's what I'm saying. I say recently retired president and CEO of the Arts and Science Council, Robert Bush. Robert, how you doing, man? I'm great, Keith. How are you this evening? I'm good. So before we, we do anything... Order of the Longleaf Pine. Yes, a surprise. A week ago tonight, actually. So for people that don't know, and this is, this is how big Robert is and, and how big he has been in our community, and I had to write this down because I wanted to make sure I remembered what the Order of the Longleaf Pine was. It is the highest award granted by the state of North Carolina to individuals that have shown extraordinary service to the state. So not just Mecklenburg County, but the state of North Carolina. And, and that's a very short list of people I know who've gotten that award. It's longer than you think. It's been being given out since the 60s. So, um, but it's, I'm very honored to be included in the list. And so it was a surprise for you? Very much so a surprise for me. Why would you say that? I mean, Robert, you have done the work, man. Well, I mean, you never know. I mean, I was, I was more focused that night on um, getting through uh, the remarks and not being a blubbering fool (laughs) and to say something that was cogent for everybody that was there and of course they surprised me before I ever got a chance to speak Um, but um, I've been very lucky I have been honored not only by now the state of North Carolina but uh, by the Gantt Center by Americans for the Arts um, even way back in the 80s by the then Visitors Authority before it was the CRVA so I have been, um, I've been lucky. I seem to have been in the right place at the right time a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess for a North Carolina boy, I've done okay. Okay. So this is, this is a drinking podcast. And so, you know, we always, we have cocktails, we have drinks. Um, special request, you wanted red wine. So, you know, here you pour your own drinks. Okay. And so for the red wine choices, we have a Pinot Noir, a Cabernet, and then we also have a Merlot. So you can pour whatever you want, okay. whenever you want, okay. it is up to you. But we always ask this question to all of our guests. What is your favorite go-to cocktail? If you're at a bar and the line's backing up behind you, you don't want to jam it up, what's the one that pops right off the top of their head? Grey Goose Martini, very dry up with a twist. And you see how quickly he said that? <laughs> like, listen, and so I'm a martini guy too. So how did you find your like for a martini? Particularly a vodka martini, because most people usually go to gin martinis. So, um, a long time ago, um, after I had been through my college days of drinking things that were entirely too sweet. Such as? Like, you know, rum and coke. (laughs) Um, Or whiskey sours or that kind of thing. A friend taught me that um, what I should drink was either... I was sort of had shifted to vodka and tonic, and I liked it. And then somebody said, you know, if you like vodka and tonic, just put vodka on ice. That's all, right. (laughs) And just drink the vodka on ice. And I really liked that. And so a martini is really, 
a vodka on ice that's been shaken. And I love them when they're shaken to the point that it's frothy of the ice crystals that are in the, the vodka. And mm-hmm. I even own a, a vermouth mister so that I just mist the inside of the martini Come glass on. instead of even dealing with too much vermouth. So you got me beat because I was doing so I like it dry too. So I would just pour the vermouth in the glass and throw it out. And yep, I, and spin that's it around. Where I started. So now there's, there's a wait. There's a vermouth mister. Right. I gotta write that down. I need one of those. It is. Special. Or can I just make one on my own? Well, you probably could, but this is a little. It's actually sort of pocket size. You could put it in your pocket if you needed to. Um, and it's got a tiny little uh, funnel that goes with it, so that you can pour the vermouth into the little vial huh. inside to pump it. It's pretty special. So Grey Goose, I'm a, I'm a Kettle One guy. Why, why uh, Grey Goose for you? I just like Grey Goose because it's it's sort of very light and delicate. Um, it's not so heavy. And, you know, I used to drink Smirnoff, which is like drinking, you know. Like alcohol, like al- <laughs> rubbing alcohol. And it's a lot heavier. And so I think when I found, I mean, I like, I mean, I'll drink most any, but if I my go to is Grey Goose. Okay, where are you from? I grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, about an hour up the road. Mm-hmm. What is Hickory known for? Furniture, Furniture. and textiles, and now uh, coaxial optical cables. So. so as the mediums of business changed. Right. They, Hickory had to change. Right. Was your family, are you ever involved in her furniture making or textile? No. Um, my father was an architect and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And um, my dad designed, uh, his firm designed a lot of the buildings at Lenore Ryan University at mm. Appalachian State. Um, hospitals, schools all over the region. Um, and um, so... You know, a Sunday afternoon many times was us driving to a job site for so he could walk around when there was nobody asking him questions and we could explore the job site. So, But then also Charlotte was my, always my big city. Um, I remember coming to Charlotte when the only way to get here was to come down Highway 16, and I don't mean okay. the 16 that you see now. Right. Uh, it was a two-lane road, and um, of course you had to pass by the Shuffletown Drag Strip, and you came in on Roswell's Ferry right to Five Points. So my so near Smith. Right there at Smith. So my entry, my childhood entry point for Charlotte was Five Points at Johnson C. Smith and then down Trade Street. Um, and I, every time I'm over there, I think of that and the family trips. And so, you know, the first Broadway musical I saw was at Ovid's Auditorium. The first circus I came to was at the what is now Bojangles Coliseum. I remember coming to the Carousel Parade. I remember marching in the uh, Shrine and Bowl Parade. So you've done it all. All those kind of things. Uh, my mother bringing us to either Belks or Ivy's Uptown to yeah. buy the Easter outfit. Um, so Charlotte has been my home, uh, away from home for a long time, and has been my home for 25 years. Okay. So, so how did how did you find the Arts and Science Council? How did that become, you know, part of this career arc for you? Well, um, of course, I had been in Charlotte before mm-hmm. and worked at the Mint, and then had left to go run organizations like ASC in other cities, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Raleigh, North Carolina, and then um, I decided that I was ready to sort of be off of my own, and so I had a consulting firm, and. Um, my consult, my biggest client for my con- with when I was consulting was Fulton County, Georgia, and Harriet Sanford was the head of that arts council there, the Fulton County Arts Council, and I did lots of different things for her to redesign education programs. I did a lot of facility assessments. She even hired me to help um, clean up uh, some operational issues at the National Black Arts Festival. Okay, and. Then she got hired to be the president of ASC, and she knew I had a Charlotte background, and so um, she said about a month in, would you come and give me every day for a month and sort of help me understand Charlotte? And I said, sure, because you know, when you're a consultant, you take the jobs you can get. <laughs> you always got to think about that. That's right. And so after about a month of that, she said, well, you know, we got this VP of planning job that hadn't been filled, and 
that's what you do. You are the you know you are the planner. Mm-hmm. And so, would you consider um, coming to ASC and um, working for us as our planner? And I said yes eventually. And um, then that was in two thousand. And I've been at ASC until Sunday night at midnight. So is it is it nineteen years? Or nineteen it? years. Okay. So nineteen years of, of working with the ASC. Um, the Charlotte art scene, of course, has changed in that time. Talk about when you first started to now that when you when you walked out of the door of retirement. So when we when I first came to ASC, um, there had this was this was you know two three years after Angels in America and all that went on with the Angels in America situation. Well, pause right there. For there's some folk who are probably listening to this who have no background in Charlotte and the Angels in America okay. and what was happening. So give a little ba- background on that. So in 1996, uh, Charlotte Repertory Theater uh, did the first production outside of New York of Angels in America, mm-hmm. both parts, uh, with a local cast, local director, everything. Um, and the community had done, and I was very aware because I was running the Arts Council in Raleigh at the time, and so I was aware of all the things that the arts community was doing to prepare the city for the, that being here. And um, even with all that preparation, there was a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the spring after that took place, um, one county commissioner, uh, one Democratic commissioner, it was a 5-4 majority, five Democrats, four Republicans. The one Democratic commissioner switched and voted for the Repu- a Republican commissioner to become the chair, and then they proceeded to defund arts and culture. Uh, and even that was even with some of the, you know, the icons of this community, Rolf Neal, um, Hugh McCall, uh, Ed Crutchfield, others standing up in front of the commission and saying, do not do this. This is not who we are. This is The arts have been critical to our community's economic life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do do this, then you will not be sitting there a year from now. Wow. And they proceeded to, um, the, they went ahead and voted out the money. And um, the um, next year, the five were defeated at the ballot, and uh, the, a whole new commission took over and restored the money. And at the, as that was taking place, there was also a new cultural plan coming out of Char- out of ASC and the mm-hmm. city and the county that um, said, "You've done a great job in building these big institutions." But you need to now focus more on community-based work. And so, and then the other big thing was they also said, we think that history needs to come under ASC. And so the county gave more money to bring history in. The city gave more money to bring neighborhood programming in. Um, And, um, of course, the fund drive was a machine that was bringing in huge sums of money, um, 11 million plus. Um, And so it was quite a time, and that was the first time that there was a really expansive effort to go out into the community. And then in the early 2000s, there was some weakness in the economy. Mm -hmm. And so when what was cut first was... Well, no, not so much there, but there was some weakness in sort of... Giving was sort of... Tiresing. It was not our plateauing, and so um, it wasn't growing as great. And so, to protect the operating grants to the majors, um, there were we we had when I first got there, there was a million dollars for project grants in neighborhoods, okay. and uh, it, they they kept cutting that back to, um, and then so that was sort of happening, and then. Um, we did the big cultural facilities master plan, mm-hmm. which resulted in the Levine Center for the Arts um, and the redo of Discovery Place. And that plan still exists, 25 years of needs. Wow. They're actually, um, the Raptor Center is one of the priority one things, and it's getting ready, it's getting a new building this right now. Mm-hmm. So those things are continuing to be built. We also did cultural plans for each of the six municipalities in Mecklenburg County outside of Charlotte. So there is a cultural plan for each one of the towns. 
Um, and then um, the recession hit. Mm-hmm. And um, we went from raising $11.7 million to $7 million, like that. That's a huge cut. Huge cut, primarily in losses from um, workplace givers. Uh, and that trend has continued to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's primarily built on the fact that um, two things. One, individuals think about giving in a different way now. Um, when we, in the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, boomers and Gen Xers were sort of the driving piece of the mark of the workforce. And they think very differently about giving than younger generations. That's right. Um, Whereas I'm willing to write a $1,000 check to United Way or to ASC and let them decide how it needs to be spent in the community. They want to make the decision. The themselves. millennials want to make the decision about where the money's going. That's right. And so they, will, they won't give you $500 at one point, but they'll give you $10, $50 gifts. Right. It's a very, so it's a very different sort of philosophy. And so the beauty of the workplace giving was it was a very inexpensive way to raise money. And so it worked for a very long time, and we should celebrate what it had done. But then when we came up with a new cultural plan in 2014, right as I was taking over at ASC, mm-hmm. um, we, um, the community came back with three very loud messages. The first was almost a repeat of what they said in 98 about get into the community. They said the number one goal of the cultural community in Charlotte in Mecklenburg County should be to build community and bridge difference. Mm. There is no safer place for us to learn about each other and understand who we are as a people than in a cultural institution. It is the safe place. The second was we've built these beautiful buildings, but if it is not innovative and relevant programming for a very different population that is changing dramatically every day, then we might as well forget it because we've got to have programming that reflects the population. And then third, as most everybody who's been around Charlotte Mecklenburg for a while knows, it said every child, regardless of where they go to school, should have access to these amazing cultural resources and that their education should be centered on creativity and critical thinking skills as the currency of the 21st century. So we get this plan. We're like, the money's going down. Right. It's like we have this beautiful plan that the community said, this is where we, we want to go yeah. by 2025. And so we took a step back and had another group that looked at the whole funding model. And they came back and said, we need to do several things. First, we need to change private sector giving. Charlotte has too long used a central committee to raise the money right. and the groups need to have the power to raise the money on their own. Okay. Well, that's what happens in every other major city in the United States. But they're going to have to be trained and empowered to do that. So that was one thing. The second one was they said we need to re-engage local and state governments, mm-hmm. um, that those dollars are not what they are compared to our peer cities. Um, and uh, long-term, a designated revenue stream should be enacted to support the sector and replace the dollars that ASC have been raising privately. And then we needed to continue to invest in building systems to support the sector beyond cash. Training, incubator services, back office functions, all those kind of things. And so we rolled that out in the fall of 2014. And we've been working on that ever since. Um, And um, actually, as we were talking here tonight, one big piece of that is on the commissioner's agenda to place on the ballot in November a quarter of a penny sales tax. I don't know the exact distribution allocation. I understand there's been some sort of tinkering around the edges, but about 50% of the revenue from the tax would go to support arts and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be transformative. It would not only stabilize the major institutions and make sure that their doors are open and their lights are on and they're accessible to the community, but it would also pump lots of money into providing services deep in the county and in the communities across the out county uh, where people are actually going to be able to take a class near where they live or have a little gallery or a a theater near where they live. So it's going to be a transformational thing. uh, And it would actually put us in the top tier city, counties, and the country for arts and culture. And in fact, the 
the name of the plan that we came out with, the proposal that was on the county's agenda is to make Charlotte-Mecklenburg the cultural capital of the South. Look at that. So what's your feeling on it? I'm very hopeful that it's going to happen. Um, you know, you never know until the vote's taken, mm -hmm. but um, the volunteers have worked very hard. The leadership of the cultural groups have worked very hard. Citizens that are participants are working very hard um, and making sure their voices are being heard. Um, the polling looks good uh, from the public vote kind of a thing. Um, we're dealing with all the same questions you always have when you talk about taxes. Um, but um, we feel that we put forward a proposal that actually makes sense and will make sure everyone in this community has access. So when we, when we speak in, in, in those terms, particularly for access, for inclusion, that was real big for the Arts and Science Council while you were there. Talk about, you know, again, things like culture blocks, things that were bringing things to communities that probably wouldn't go if you all didn't say, hey, listen, this is a need. This is something that we have to do. So um, my first arts council job, actually, I started out as a public school teacher and got my master's degree. And I had, I had my side, OK, I'm going to be a principal, then I'm going to be a superintendent. Mm -hmm. you know, that was sort of my <laughs> career path. And um, I, the school I was teaching at was a school for um, young people that were, have, had very troubled lives. And it was a public school, uh, so we didn't have them in a residential facility. It was a, we got them every day. And um, our goal was to um, get these kids to be excited about learning. So they sort of turned us, this faculty, loose and said, you can do whatever, do whatever. you want. It's a teacher's dream. It's a teacher's dream. And so the faculty decided we were going to have an arts-infused curriculum. And so the math teacher was a... Um, um, actually had a background in um, industrial arts, which was the, the old term for craft. Okay. She was a weaver, potter, woodworker. Um, we had a science teacher who was always a potter. I was doing teaching language arts. Uh, and these were kids 6th grade through 12th. And I was doing language arts. And so everything we did in the classroom was, was always had an art component to it. So when they were talking in science class about chemistry they would be making glazes or learning how to fire things in a kiln or if they were in the math class they were learning about math and fractions because they were weaving these patterns on big looms so it was this wow. really fascinating program and we also had an outward bound school and i actually ran the outward bound school with, in addition the backpacking and mm -hmm. white water and yeah. all that kind of stuff and um it was a year-round school and after th four years you could take a summer off so I took the summer off and there was this job um, in the paper for the first director of the Catawba County Arts Council okay they were gonna hire some and I thought I don't have to do that <laughs> young and arrogant there we go I got the job look at that and um, I was the only staff person in a brand new Arts Council with groups that were fantastic groups art museum several community theaters, a symphony, a choral society, I mean, the science museum. I had these great institutions. So I was all about supporting them, expanding audience, that kind of thing. And so um, within three years, we had raised the money to turn the old high school that I actually graduated from into what is now the Arts Center in Hickory uh, and the home of the Art Museum, oh, and the wow. Science Museum, and concert halls and office space. It's an entire city block that also now includes the public library. It's called the Salt Block, Science, Arts, Literature Together. Is there a wing dedicated with your last name on it? No. Oh, uh, but um, it's a great facility, and um, the Mint came knocking. Okay. And they wanted to me to come and be their first development director and so I was like well you know this is kind of a great opportunity to learn about it. it's like to be on the other side of the street but you know when you get me you're going to get community so even when I was at because community has sort of driven this entire career yes and so even when I was at the Mint in raising money for the Mint and we were very successful in raising money with this the is Mint, on Randolph or before, on they, Randolph. before they were uptown for the Randolph okay and um so when we had the opportunity to host Ramses the Great, it wasn't just the Mint hosting Ramses the Great. I was the architect of the opera doing a partnership, and they did Aida, and 
the Theater Charlotte did Murder on the Nile, and um, the so Discovery the Place, everything was connected. Yeah. And we were commissioning new work, and Ruth Sloan, who's been my dear friend for so long, actually wrote a piece that was performed by the Children's Theater at Afro-American Cultural Center over on 7th Street time, yeah. that was also part of a huge public celebration that was really about bringing diversity of Charlotte together to celebrate this amazing African pharaoh. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when I went away, it was still about community. It was about getting out into neighborhoods, getting into the towns. It's an, I'm this huge believer that just like schools and libraries and parks belong to all of us, museums and theaters and community arts centers all belong to all of us, and that we need to ensure that everyone feels that they belong That's right. in those locations because they are as much about learning and life as they are about entertainment. Um, and that a lot of times you may learn something when you're laughing or learn something when you're crying. That's right. So it's a very important part of what we did. And so we got to ASC. Um, we've really, you know, they sent me out doing the same kind of stuff. So I, they said, one of the first things was artists hate ASC. This is when 2000. Robert, go out there and figure out why the artists hate us. <laughs> so I did lots of uh, sessions all over the community, these big round tables, and I would come back bloody. They would. So you would hear it. They would oh, tell you. Oh, they would just to my face say what that we were doing wrong. <laughs> and it was primarily that we were ignoring them. So um, and they also so then they send me to do these plans in the southern in the suburbs or the, the Cornelius Davidson you know Huntersville Matthews Mid Hill uh, Pineville and the you know I go first place we go is up north and I'm there and I'm all ready to and the first thing they says what are you doing up here because you never come up here you just want our money right <laughs> I'm like no 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 I'm here to learn about what you want so that we can develop a plan for how we can deliver to you. So out of that plan, I mean, Discovery Place Kids in Huntersville came out of that plan. The new Kane Arts Center that they're building in Cornelius came out of that plan. The um, Armory Theater that is Davidson Community Players Home away from Davidson College came out of that plan. There's all of this activity that came out of that plan. Same thing in Matthews and Pineville and Mint Hill. These, these community things. And so then it was like, well, then we look and we're going... The county's moving to do this much more work. This is closer, this is like 2015, 14, 15. The county's really paying attention to doing services close to where people live. They want people to have access. So how do we look at what we know from our research about the community and be a bridge to help individual artists as well as community groups and the major institutions connect into these neighborhoods. So the ground rule that we set there was, you are not going into an, an, an underserved neighborhood. You're going into a community that has a cultural life. We just don't understand it. Because language it's, is important. Language is important. So the fundamental goal of this program is to go in and build relationships with community leaders and citizens and residents, to hear from them the programs they want, to make their cultural life better. And then rather than having to go through a grant process, we matchmake with providers who can deliver the program and we pay them to go and deliver the program. And so in three years, we have gone from five blocks to 10. It's a beautiful program. It is an amazing program. Um, it's one of the things I'm proudest of. So the last, uh, and we do these community dinners and there's performances, but also feedback sessions and people tell us what they want. We did one on the west side back in May. It was the last one that I got to go to. And we're at First Baptist West. There's a big crowd at lunch. And I was overwhelmed with the residents of that community that came up to me, who clearly knew who I was, to thank me and that I had delivered where people had promised forever and never delivered. That's huge. And they had tears in their eyes. And it was like, this is, this is that fundamental thing that the community told us they wanted. They said, give us these cultural experiences 
and we can bridge difference. We can build a community that we're all proud of. But if we don't understand who each other is through the art or the science or the history, we're not going to get anywhere. Never will. And, and that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast is engagement for particular minorities and millennials and young folk. Talk about, you know, again, your successes with that, but how can institutions in our community really start to do that and make inroads for minorities and millennials? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to go out there and listen to them. You can't just assume you know what they want. Um, that's the biggest thing. And I think that that happens in lots of different ways. You know, there's, we have, we're much more sophisticated now than we ever were before around surveying and all those kind of things. But it really comes down to you have to go out and sit down across the table and talk to somebody. And when I say talk, you do mostly listening. Right. you got to listen to what they say and what their dreams are and what their aspirations are. And then you go back and you figure out, oh, well, we could, we could do this. So... A great example is the ballet. Mm -hmm. So the ballet has this, uh, has this idea, and they've been going for 10 years, but it really went on steroids after Culture Blocks came along, <laughs> where they go into neighborhood recreation, excuse me, recreation facilities, and they um, teach ballet classes, the same ballet class as they teach at the main school on Trine Street, and every child that is auditioned into that program, it's a contract between the child and the parent and the ballet company about who's, everybody's got a piece of this. Okay. They make sure that every child has the same tights, the same shoes, shoes. the same outfit, the same bag as any kid that comes to the main place. Wow. So there is no difference. difference. Every kid's the same. And... One of the kids from the early years is now a member of the company, professional dancer in the company, a male dancer in the company. That's huge. It's huge. That neighborhood center dance class Started, changed his life. Was the onus. And that's it, so that's the kind of work we're doing. But it also it comes back to even more. It's like we also put up these blinders about what is art and what's not art. It's like, right. wait a minute, no, 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 no. I think that singing in the church choir is no different than singing in the opera chorus. It's just a different set of music and a different way you're delivering it. But that people, we sing, people sing. And we shouldn't put this singing down as opposed to that singing. It's like, I am happy to promote the opera and Carmen or I have a dream, all of those things. But I, we also should be promoting Beyonce when she's at the arena. Music is music. We we got to be we got we've cut ourselves into this tight little box. And thinking that we've got to be more expansive. And part of that's due to this whole sort of division between what's nonprofit and what's for, for profit. profit. And I'm hoping that these new dollars are going to allow us to actually do more to bridge that difference between for-profit and non-profit. With that kind of money, even if we gave out $10,000 $10, grants a year to for-profit businesses that had an idea that was actually going to touch the art and world that changes people's lives, think about what could happen. Nobody else in the country is doing that. This could be this a game changer game changer for arts council that they're going to just like they've looked at charlotte for years about what we've been able to accomplish because we play above our weight always have this is going to be the focus like we've never seen of people saying that's the kind of city i want to live and work in that's where i want to move my company that's where i want to live work and play Starts with the arts. So the Beehive's gonna love you, man. When they hear when they hear that Beyonce shout out, the Beehive is gonna love you. Let so so now when we talk about what's art, what's not art, murals are a big thing. Oh, I love murals. Talk about the murals. Talk about what's happening with murals in Charlotte. Well, there has been an explosion, you know, just like a lot of things that happen here. You know, we get somebody goes off, some core people go off on a trip. This time they went to Miami, Miami. and they saw a bunch of murals in Miami. Now came back going, Oh we gotta have we that. have walls, we can paint those walls. <laughs> But I think we have some really amazing people are doing incredible things. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Nico. Mm -hmm. I'm also a big uh, fan of Nick. Yeah, Nick um, Nabolatano. Yes. Um, so, but there's, you know, 
Rosalie is doing some really cool things. There, Sharon Dow's done some really interesting things. So there's really some interesting stuff happening. And what I'm pleased is is that the majority of these are privately commissioned. Right. The companies are going. Wait a minute. I can stand out. And I want one too. Right. right. So and I want one too. I want one too. And the other one that I think is really interesting is, and I, this was sort of a the fir- one of some of the first that started happening, were the Amy Bagwell's wall poems. Which are profound, yeah, and are a way you wouldn't believe the people that say, you know, I was I stop at that where I stop going out of traffic. I see this, and I'm every day I'm fixated on this poem that is right there on the wall of this building. Mm-hmm. So it's I think that they're they're amazing, and there are lots of ways to do murals. You know, murals can be difficult too because. They're not meant to be permanent, so they're going to get painted over, or they're going to change. Um, we're trying to do that in some ways at the airport. I was going to talk about, so talk about the airport. What's happening at the airport? So now. we've had a real change in the, what the airport thinks about art and the way that the art plays in telling about the city that you've just landed in. They really, the leadership at the airport says it's the arts that are going to define who we are as a city and a region, and so they have really been working very closely with us on especially with this redo of the airport we're we're spending a lot of money on public Uh art at the airport so we have the great new largest piece of digital sculpture in the world by Rafiq Anadal on Concourse A which is groundbreaking but we're also at the same time commissioning local artists to do works. Um, they actually work in their sort of normal size and media that they work in. But then through the magic of digital photography and a very special substance, we can digitize the image, we can blow it up, put it on this thing called Velox, and attach it to the wall so it's indestructible. So you're going to start seeing we just dedicated um, or cut the ribbon for Concourse B, mm-hmm. uh, and there are four murals on that concourse by two artists. Um, there are more art- more murals coming on the redo of Concourse A and also on the redo of Concourse C. Uh, and they are all local artists. And so it's gonna, going to the airport is like going to be like going to a, a museum. museum. And in fact, one of the is they, things have gone up because they've been up for a while since you know it takes a while to get to the ribbon cutting. Right. But the thing that got me was as soon as they were up, all of a sudden... My social media went nuts with people saying, I just got off the plane and I know that artist. There you go. So was there, was there some intentionality on local artists? Or- oh, definitely intentionality on local artists. Because we want, you know, working in the public art realm is very different than working in the studio. Uh-huh. When you work in a studio for yourself, you're only trying to... You're trying to. You want it to sell, of course, but you're doing it for you. Right. You're okay with when you're doing it for the public in the public art realm. You have to understand that there is a public voice saying, "Well, you know, maybe this color is not the right color, or this you haven't got the story right here." Larger audience. There's a larger audience, and so we're hoping that this effort at the airport leads to more artists understanding how to work in this much Mm. larger realm, and then actually be able to do bigger works um, but then that doesn't mean we're not continuing to do major works in addition to the Rafiq piece this new piece at the Valerie Woodard Center on Freedom and Ashley I, I saw the picture of that is that, Pillar of Dreams by yeah. Mark Fornis it is it's pretty big it's it's huge it's about 40 feet long and about 50 feet tall um, it's it is cathedral like and it's metal so you think Oh, in all this sun, it's going to be like an oven. Super hot, yeah. If you've ever been in Europe and you walk into one of those old cathedrals and that immediate cool... That's what's happening? Pillar of Dreams is the name of the piece. When you step into that cathedral, it's cool. Wow. It is this place of respite. It is this place of gathering. It is at, and it sits at a facility that deals with people that are dealing with lots of trauma in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're there because they need help with food or they mm-hmm. need help with uh, veterans benefits. Yeah. Or they, they're coming there for help. And here is this beautiful respite spot 
that's cool, and even in the heat of this summer, where they can take a moment and be renewed. That's amazing. So talk about how people in our community can learn to appreciate art and the community events that are happening. Well, the first thing is you got to get out there and go and do. And I know that you do that. Um, and you're a big consumer of art on lots of different levels. And I find that hard sometimes to bring other people. You know, there's always this right. angst, I think. Right. Um, so you find the entry points that are most comfortable for you. One entry point that actually ASC has done will be in our sixth year this year, fifth year this year, is um, Culture Feast. Shout out to Culture Feast, man. Um, and we're moving it to October the 4th um, this year uh, because um, it was a little too hot that first weekend in September. So we're hoping it's a little cooler. And this is, it's a very inexpensive dinner. It's like $35. $35. Uh, and that even includes some wine or beer. It does, but the I think the entertainment. It's the entertainment, and the entertainment is so. You're, the other thing, so it's they shut down Trine Street. Mm -hmm. They put long tables. You're not sitting at a round table with just the people you know. You are sitting with who you get to sit with. Right. And but so I think it's the a, best thing is sitting with people you, you don't, don't know. know. Right. And the, the dinner is served family style, so it's not this sort of everybody gets a plate put in front of them. You actually have to, in a very southern way, and anybody from anybody from the south, regardless of where you're from, if you're in the south, you understand how to pass the plate, <laughs> and you get what you want. And as you're having dinner and meeting new people, there are amazing performances well, up and down from the opera singers to Latin dancers to African drummers to jazz to Chinese acrobat. It is an amazing display yeah. of the diversity, and they're all performers from here. Yes. That's a very important part. So that's an easy way to get a taste. Another is uh, every winter we do a free weekend of events called Connect with Culture Day. It's actually days. Mm -hmm. um, and some of those things are in libraries or schools, but on Friday night of the weekend, they're in breweries and other places, and you can. I remember see a when it was a salsa. There was right, a salsa, salsa class, yeah. or there's a theater, a little theater piece, a one act piece in a bar. That's right. I mean, or there is um, a drum circle. I mean, there are all these ways that you can get engaged. So it's not just being a sort of being an observer. You can actually be a participant in a lot of these things. So, and then. You know, we have the Mint's open for free one night a week. The Beckler's open for free. The Levine Museum's open for free. Uh, Discovery Place has this fabulous thing called Science on the Rocks, which mm -hmm. is for young people, where you can actually buy a drink and play with and the science out, and, yeah. and hang out with a lot of young people. Um, it's a great experience. The ballet has small events big events if you don't have to go to the nutcracker you can go to the modern stuff that's right the opera has small performances as well they're great concerts uh the tosca music party is a, a experience unto its own and homegrown um so find those places where you can connect in with things you and don't be afraid to try something new if you don't like it you don't have to go back that's right but it's a place for you to at least experiment and you're going to always meet interesting people and you're going to always have a good time and and do you think that institutions are doing better with price points particularly for entry for communities that may not have there the are same? a lot of places now that have a pay what you can so you can come in for nothing or you can put a 20 dollars bill down and they're not going to say one word well, hey, I, I need to find those places where it's <laughs> They always, they ever, a lot of the theater companies do that, so you just need to check them out. So uh, we, we both have a great mutual friend, um, Krista Terrell, and I read one of Krista's posts, um, you know, post-retirement for you. I think she put it up maybe Friday, at, you know, or Saturday. You could tell she's, she's going to miss you. But she said you have this great memory of stories, that, that any, any place you've been or anything that's happened, you have the ability to recall the story and everyone else is standing around like, how does he remember that? I need a story about Krista. So, um, Krista has is a, worked for me for a very long mm -hmm. time. But she is more than a, a person who worked with me or for me. She is dear to me. And her husband and children are dear to me. Um, and... Um, we're close enough that um, we 
have shared a lot of things. Probably the the this is it's not so up well it is uplifting, but it's not. It's, it's, there's so many stories I could tell, you, but All the right. one that is the most recent is um, ASC, the Levine Museum of the New South, and Crisis Assistance Ministry took two busloads of Charlotte residents, Mecklenburg County residents, to Montgomery to the new um, the Legacy yeah, Museum yeah. and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice yeah. the first weekend in March. And um, her, it was, it was as, it was, I, I can't say, <laughs> It was hard, it was a hard trip um, emotionally, um, and anyone who's been there, I think, would share that. Um, but she um, when I was just shaken, literally shaken by the experience at the museum and the soil, jars of soil from the lynching sites. She, um, she sort of slipped up beside me and just put her hand on my shoulder and started tapping. And um, it's this deep connection that we have. We both are so committed to issues of justice mm -hmm. and equity and peace. And so um, she is my teammate. Now, I also will tell you a funnier story. So the thing, she won't let anything go. Never. So my parting gift to her, and she also posted about this, was a um, Beanie Baby horse that looks like it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I left it for her because to teach her to remember that uh, sometimes you don't beat a dead horse, you just move on. And she's already posted about, I saw she it. needed that message of don't beat that dead horse, just move on. Gotta let it go. Gotta let it go. One of my best stories, when we were in college, she, she did a full-on rendition of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1812. I mean, let me say something. She did the full video. And if you ever get her cornered, I've tried to get her to do ask it. Ask her to do it. If she still remembers, I'm, I'm but I'm sure she probably does. She should. So. so, so Robert, if you, we always ask this question, folks. What would you tell sixteen-year-old Robert right now? Um, don't be afraid to try new things. That the journey is going to take some crooked turns, but it's going to be all right. And have fun. Has it set in yet? Retirement? It not really. It's it. I mean, I realize I am, but I'm trying to. You know, I think I'm trying to stay too occupied. I think I need. You know, maybe it's because I knew I was coming to talk to you today. I wanted to keep in the mindset. I didn't want to be weak in your presence. <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, it's going to set in, and uh, I have these. I have three goals for the next six months. Okay. Number one, I want to learn to sleep till seven a.m. again. Oof, good luck. Tired of waking up in a panic in the middle of the night. What's going to do about that? Second, I want to learn to live without a calendar that's filled from dawn until dark every day. Okay. I'm beginning to see that actually happen. Okay. Because I want to be spontaneous again. Okay. And third, figure out what I'm going to do in January. So I've been telling a lot of people no, because they've been saying, well, come in. I'm like, no. I'm quite sure the offers are out. I need six months to clear my head. Just do whatever you want to do. Right. January, I'll do something. Okay. Give give some folks who are listening some tips. People, you know, folk would love to be where you are. Mm -hmm. they're, they're they're growing in their own careers. They're trying to reach mm -hmm. certain aspirations. What are some tips that you can leave folks with? It's hard work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, build deep relationships with people in the community because you're going to need them. One of the things, actually, I learned. I'd learned it before, but I really learned it when I came here. Charlotte loves big ideas, and in fact, we'll throw a lot of money at a big idea for a very long time, even beyond when it's really worth throwing money at. <laughs> but 
Don't be afraid of having a big idea. Be sure that you understand that you're going to need other people when it's time for your big idea. So you've got to support other big ideas. That means you can't, you can't be isolated on one path. You have to engage for the entire community. This is about building the entire community. Art is one piece of it. Schools are one piece of it. Justice is one piece of it. Yeah, they all cross over each other, but you've got to be supportive of all these different things. You have to be about loving this place and everything it takes to make it the place it, need, it needs and deserves to be. Robert, raise a glass. Here's to sleeping in to 7 a.m. Amen. Thank you, sir. And, and it, as always, you know, thank you so much for all that you have done for this community for the last 19 years with the Arts and Science Council. Um, you will be missed. But I'm not I'm, going anywhere. You're going to see me in trouble something else. Well, there we go. That, and, that's, and that's what we need. You know, I think, you know, once you get your, you know, your life, quote unquote, right. back and you do what you want to do, we'll love to see you back out there and doing whatever it is your heart desires. So again, thank you so much again for, for day two of retirement to come and want to do this. We, we wholeheartedly appreciate you, sir, um, for coming. Thank so you. thank you. Um, let people know how they can find you if you if they want to find you. They can find me on Facebook. I am not much of a Twitter person or Instagram, but you can find me on Facebook. Um, and um, I actually, you know, reach out. You can connect. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Not my favorite platform, but I do respond there too. All right. So there you have it, people. And as always, you can catch our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio every month. And once again, you can watch us on Suite929.tv. This is your Curated Conversations Over Cocktails podcast. And as always, we wish you well and thank you for listening. Robert, raise a glass. Cheers. Cheers. Find Crafted with Cradle on iTunes and iHeartRadio. Check out video of the show at DailyMotion.com and Sweet929.tv.